And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Hello and welcome to Front and Nationwide. This is the Athletics dedicated Blue Jackets podcast. Aaron Ports, I'm with you on a Friday morning in Columbus. It was nice for a couple of days. We're kind of getting the full wrath of spring here today. Uh, joining us is well, Allison Lucan is here first. We should say hello to Allison. Hello. Uh, and joining us from Tampa Bay, where it is probably perfect, uh, is Joe Smith of the F. Athletic Tampa Bay. Joe, of course, became uh, quite a hit on the postgame videos last <laughs> last uh, last spring. That might have been the crowning moment in your career, Joe, or maybe I'm speaking out of turn. It's right up there. I mean, uh, I don't get much TV time, so that's kind of you know the highlight of that. I had to make sure to get my right my best suits on, <laughs> and right. uh, you know, it was obviously not the best uh, viewing time if you're a Lightning fan to listen to me babble about stuff, but. Uh, Certainly was fun to join you guys, and I always loved the part where Tom Reed would go to Allison. Allison, get the tape. You know, it's like, <laughs> yeah. it's like, you know, so it was, it was pretty fun. Yeah, well, thanks for joining us. And how are things in Tampa Bay and Florida at large right now? Ohio is, uh, you know, like most of the country, hunkered down and starting to feel pretty good about itself and the job that it's done um, in doing so. What's the scene in Florida? How how are you feeling? How's the family? How's everybody around you? How are the lightning during this uh, awkward time? Well, thanks for asking. Yeah, we're doing pretty well. Like most people, I think, here, uh, you know, we're kind of holed up in our house. My wife works for the paper in Tampa, so we're both, you know, doing our interviews on the phone and writing from different areas of the house, whether it's the patio in the backyard or the front porch or that kind of thing. And, you know, she's covering the coronavirus as it is, so I get pretty good up-to-date uh, updates on what's going on. And, you know, I think there's, you know, obviously a number of cases in Florida and Tampa Bay, and um, they took a little while to kind of shut things down as far as, like, the bars and restaurants. But once they did, I think people have done a pretty good job with that. Um, you know, so overall, I think the mood is, you know, a little bit of anxiousness because, like everybody else, we don't know when this is going to end or how it's going to stop. And right. uh, I think, you know, for if you're a Lightning fan in particular, this is supposed to be the week that, you start the playoffs and have that kind of redemption tour, so to speak, and get a chance to, after waiting a year to, to finally show, Hey, we've overcome this and we're ready to take, you know, win a playoff game, playoff round and go. And so now to have the whole arena dark, you know, have the whole area kind of empty and, uh, with no idea if, if we're going to finish the season. And it's, it's kind of a, you kind of worry it's to be a lost season if you're a lightning fan. 
Yeah, that, that's why we brought you in here to talk to you. Of course, we like you, but the timing of this is, <laughs> is um, I mean, this is when it started last year. This is the one-year anniversary of Game 1 last year. Um, this is the that incredible 3 nothing lead by the Lightning where I think most people were saying, boy, this, this is going to be over really, really quickly. And it, then, as you mentioned, it, it went south for for Tampa Bay in a way that I I'm sh- I, I the sense I got from people in Florida and certainly you know them better than I was they were just it happened so fast not just in Game One but the whole of the series that there was just shock that it was over this is it that's it it's over so quickly how did how has that experience and you and Allison talked about this uh, and wrote a piece about it before the Lightning played here this season. It feel it felt to me again from afar that 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 first round series just sort of painted everything that the Lightning did this year, and I, I guess in many ways, of course, it did. But can you just speak to the way that that was sort of this? It's this black cloud that you just can't get away from until the next playoff series, and yet you've got to live with it for the whole eighty-two games, and nothing you do in those eighty-two games is going to impress anybody because of that big thing that happened behind you. What was the season like, and, and how much did that loom over everything? Well, I, I think you have to start from the beginning, and, and just, you know, for this to be that historic 62-win season be gone in a matter of a week or a little bit over a week, it was humbling, and it was embarrassing, you know, players had said, and it was a long summer, and you had to watch it, and you had to you had to, you had to pretty much grim and bear it, and... Um, over the course of the whole summer, you heard it in the golf courses. They heard it on the lake. You know, you know what happened to you guys. This and this, and I think from that point of view, they tried to do their best to kind of move past it in, in one way, in that way. But I think it also was supposed to be a learning moment for them. And I think John Cooper said it when I had an interview with him in September. He was like, you know, we had to kind of take a long, hard look in the mirror uh, and see what we need to do to fix things, or just to not to reinvent the wheel or change our complete our system because it had been successful for a number of years but at some point you have to kind of figure out a way to to make yourself more prepared for a a playoff run like they had before and so they made some areas of focus for the season whether it was playing a better defensive game uh you know more structured uh whether it's cutting down the penalties and relying on your special teams too much which didn't help them in that uh columbus series which they didn't really see much power play time there um and then a lot of it was kind of getting mentally uh, over the hump. Um, and I had, they brought in a motivational speaker to in camp and guy who worked with Clemson football and uh, Alabama football in terms of, you know, don't actually get to defend something like you defend yourself as a good team. You have to kind of attack your season and move forward. Um, and so I think they kind of did a good job at some point finally getting over that. I think it was after the Sweden trip in November, they kind of finally moved past that in terms of playing better hockey and not really, getting caught in that cloud, so to speak, of last season. Um, what struck me is I talked to Shattenkirk and Maroon, kind of the new veterans on the team, and they felt like in the first month of the year, or first few weeks, guys were kind of living in the past, as they put it. You know, like they were coming to the locker room after a game and say, hell, oh, last year we would have got the bounces in this game, or last week year we'd have found a way to win that game, or this or this. And they're like, you know, screw last year, guys. This is over. This is our year now, and we have only one way to go, and that's forward. And so it was a gradual process. It didn't happen overnight. But I really do feel that, you know, the guys kind of found their way and were able to play some really good hockey, especially on that 23-1-2 stretch they had before the season got kind of went kaput. But um, we really didn't wouldn't know, and they wouldn't know until we saw these games in April and May, whether yeah. they were able to get over the hump. And unfortunately, we weren't able to answer that question. Um, 
and we hope maybe in July and August. Yeah, and, and not taking anything away from from the Blue Jackets, but I, I think if you go back and look at this last year, I, I don't think there's anybody that would argue that the Blue Jackets were the more talented team than the Lightning. There's there's no way the Lightning have have depth and depth of of scoring talent that Columbus simply couldn't match, and so they they couldn't match that, and they didn't try to. That what it just seems to me, looking back on it now, in hindsight, provides such clarity. The they almost had complete opposite seasons of each other. Tampa Bay, everything just came so easy for them last season in the regular season to the point where they're coming down the backstretch and if they're looking over their shoulder, they can't see anybody. There's no, there's no pressure there. Columbus just underperformed all regular season, and it wasn't until they had a come-to-Jesus meeting late in, in mid to late March that it really started to fire for them. And so you've got two teams that the last two weeks of the season, Columbus has, has pedaled to the floor, um, and that became their norm. This is how they now play. And then there was Tampa Bay, who just had to keep the ball in the fairway. And it, just, it felt like the, those two approaches sort of crossed uh, early in that series, where one team felt like they could do cruise control and get away with it because they had for so long. And the other team just had to empty the tank every night any merit to this i think so and i think you talked to some players uh with the lightning and they they had mentioned at least looking back that they got into some sort of comfort zone down the stretch and they didn't really play any meaningful meaningful games i guess for a long time I mean, maybe that game against boston or a game against toronto but they, they really had wrapped things up at that point too and they really kind of were really relied upon vasilevsky and their goaltending to kind of mask a lot of the issues that they had underneath the surface whether that was the turnovers they were giving up, the chances they were giving up, um, you know, they were, they found ways to win, and so it's, it's harder to correct things when you're winning at that such a quick, a huge rate than if you actually are in a humbling come to Jesus meeting, like you said with Columbus, and had to figure out a way. Hey, how do we get out of this? How do we fix ourselves and make ourselves prepared? And so for me, when I look back at this whole thing, I think it's more of a perfect storm of issues that happened that led that to that series to go a certain way. And I think you know people don't give Columbus enough credit for what they did and how well they executed. Um, they were going to be a, a tough matchup for Lightning because of the style that they play, uh, how physical they are, and just uh, how defensively uh, locked in they are to penalty kills at the time. Um, I think they was – so they were really good, first of all. And then number two, the Lightning came in, you know, kind of not saying they they, they overlooked Columbus, but they were – they felt that they, everything had come kind of easy to them, that they thought they'd be able to kind of find a way. And they once that game won uh, – they lost game one. They had a 3 nothing lead, and they really gave Columbus confidence that they didn't, hadn't had before, and, and I don't think the Lightning really recovered from that. Uh, I really think that they uh, hit, got hit with some adversity there, and, and game two was probably as, as stiff or as nervous I've ever seen Lightning team play in my time here, um, and then it kind of snowballed from there. Uh, so, I, I mean, I think you play that series 9 out of 10 times, maybe, maybe how many times? 8 out of 10 made Lightning win that series if you play over again, but all that matters is that one or two times, and Columbus definitely uh, deserved it. Yeah, Joe, let's get into game one. I mean, I remember <laughs> watching that. It's almost like a microcosm of what you were just describing, right? Is that first period came so easy to Tampa. And then, you know, there's that old cliche, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. But what, what was at the end of that first period where were you mentally? I mean, did you think this was going to be the cakewalk? That I mean, there were people saying Tampa in one because it was such a dominant period. I mean, what was your experience 
maybe from that first intermission on watching what happened to that Tampa Bay team? Well, I, I was sitting next to Pierre Lebrun, one of our colleagues with the Athletic too, and we look, watched the three goals and we're like, wow, I mean, this is could get ugly pretty soon. And, and we all know that the struggles that Bobrovsky had had in, in previous playoff pass, and you wonder when he's going to get the hook and, and how that's going to turn. And I've seen the lighting all year, and they were just – they were aggressive. They were on it. They were you know, making plays, and you know they they did that a lot all year long. And so I don't think uh, a lot of us anticipated what happens next. And and to me, I think I think we've talked about this before. Just the turning point of the series in my mind was the save by Bobrovsky on Kucherov in the early in the second period, where I think if he scores that and it's four nothing, I mean maybe Bobrovsky's pulled. I don't know, but I just don't see Columbus coming back. Um, from that, and all of a sudden, the narrative changes. The pressure isn't quite on Tampa Bay as it was anymore. Maybe they get a comeback. It's not the wake up call that they thought it would be. So, you know, I, I think that was something where the Lightning had a little bit more. I see offensive arrogance was the right word to use, but they they wanted to go for a four nothing lead instead of a protect three nothing lead or you know three one lead as opposed to you know they wanted to wanted to go for more. That's what they did all season long, and you know Columbus found ways to get back into the into the game, and all of a sudden, before game two, it was a whole different series. Were you surprised maybe at how the team reacted first within just that that game one, that there wasn't a pushback, that there wasn't a reaction? Or do you think, was that was that what you had seen from Tampa when they had faced adversity in the past, specifically in game one? Yeah, it's it surprised me. And I, I think the initially the narrative of they had never faced adversity all year, I kind of tried to dismiss that at first because mm-hmm. I was like, listen, I've, I've covered this team when they went to the Cup Final in 15. A lot of the same guys are there. There's not like a young team that had never been there before. You know, a lot of these guys are guys who played in Game 7s. They've gone deep in the playoffs. You know, they had some veteran leaders there. Like, I I was honestly surprised to to see the kind of the response that, that came on after that um, with, uh, with Columbus. And I think they did actually did play better as a series – went on. I think mm-hmm. they played better in Columbus and, you know, look at all the things that happened. You know, you have your best defenseman, the guy that makes things, whole things go for the Lightning, Victor Hedman, um, was injured out for the rest of the series and he arguably wasn't himself to start the series after missing a few games of upper body injury going into it. Um, your star player, number one scorer in the league, gets suspended for a must-win uh, game three. Um, you know, overall, a lot of things that, you know, could have went wrong, went wrong. In that particular case, I think they played better as it went on, but it was just, you know, Columbus out-executed them in the most important areas and and found a way. I'm sure this is not happening where you are, but in Columbus, they're replaying the series game by game. And uh, game two was on last night, and and it reminded me, not only in just in game one, but I was just so surprised. I mean, I expected in game two that Tampa would just come out roaring, were you surprised again about the response in game two? Because I agree. I think it, you know, it was the series went on, they played better, but I was just surprised that reaction didn't come so quickly after what happened in game one. Yeah, I mean, I think that, that's what I mentioned earlier on in this in this show is that that game two, watching them, it was probably they were playing not to make mistakes. They were playing, not that they were playing scared, but they were just playing a little more timid or tentative than I've seen them play previously and so it kind of caught me by surprise and that wasn't a way you were going to come back in the series at that point Columbus felt like they were the king of the world they were they were going to you know Tortorella's speech and they went and won and then they're, they're in the building they're like playing with house money pretty much you already take one game uh in that first two in the in the home set there so I really was surprised the kind of that there wasn't that response in game two at home 
knowing that you don't want to go down 0-2 going into Columbus uh, in games three and four. Um, and I think that's kind of where you, you kind of lost the series there uh, because as much as good as the Lightning are and, you know, they can win on the road, but to lose that momentum that bad, lose two at home mentally, I think the pressure started to, to hit them pretty hard. You know, they started to, you know, hear the whispers and wonder, oh, this is a historic team, like we're falling behind, we can't lose, as opposed to being the confident team that, no matter what that during that season, they found a way to win. If they were playing horribly, they were getting outshot, they were getting outplayed. They were just oh, we'll just go out there and we'll outscore them. We'll get a power play goal. We'll we'll find a way, and, and they just couldn't do that this time. I recall at the at the end of game two, uh, Victor Hedman. I think it was Riley Nash was sitting on the Blue Jackets, uh, sitting on the wall by the Blue Jackets bench uh, during a stoppage, and Victor Hedman was talking nothing against Victor talking shit to the Columbus bench and Riley Nash was looking like Adam like and Hedman was talking about how they had taken a 2-0 lead in the series and against Washington the previous year and couldn't close it out I bet he was saying it a lot more colorfully than I just did <clears throat> excuse me uh, but Riley Nash was looking like bro I wasn't here last year this has nothing to do with me yeah um, it was a great little exchange I think Pierre McGuire might have brought it to life for us uh, on TV but I, what, what is interesting to me is if, if Tampa was rattled after that game, I, I don't think Columbus was rattled, but I think in, in Columbus's mind, there was a memory from the previous year that said, boy, this can still get away from you so quickly, uh, like it did against the Capitals a year earlier. Um, and I think if I remember correctly, Tampa played a pretty damn good game in game three. Mm-hmm. It, and Bobrovsky was fantastic. That may have been, that may have been, uh, for me, a pivotal point for both teams. And um, Joe, your thoughts just on how the Lightning responded in Game Three and what that meant uh, for them to play as they did. I think close to how they wanted to, and yet still not get the result. Yeah, I think that you're right. I mean, Game Three, I thought they played really well, and you know, their backs were obviously against the wall. They had no choice, but I thought that they had a really good response that I thought they might have had in in Game Two and. They had a lot of scoring chances. You know, Bobrovsky was got his confidence, I'm sure, from that first two games in Tampa. And, and you look at the other end, and the Lightning were so used to all year getting bailed up by Vasilevsky, right? I mean, every no matter what they did, whatever mistake they made, they were like, okay, well, we got him in our, has our back. We're going to be able to be okay. And it just seemed like you know Vasilevsky was having a tough time in that series. Columbus was, you know, in his face or disrupting the sight line and. A lot of traffic. You mentioned after the series that they did a really good scouting report on on them and the team because he was he was moving his sight lines and stuff like that. I think he had eight fifty six eight percentage in the series, which I don't think was all on him completely. They gave up some some great chances there, but uh, it was like both ends where they were going and, and motoring over and they were getting all these great chances and they wouldn't be able to finish it the were in the season. And the other end, they'd get uh, a shot from Columbus and all of a sudden it'd go in and be such a deflating moment. You're on the road and the cannons are firing and. The, the building's going crazy. It was such an electric feeling in that building. Um, so I think that game three, like you mentioned, is something where they played a better game, even without, you know, I think Kucherov, and they still didn't, you know, and they lost that game. Now all of a sudden you're 3 nothing, and it's, I don't know what the odds are at that particular point, but probably in the 5% or below to come back and win that series. Yeah. Um, I, one thing that I, I always love about series, the idea of teams playing against each other multiple times in a row is it? It's such a living, breathing thing, uh, and there are responses. There are there's a reaction to what this team is doing that you just don't get in the one-offs during the regular season. 
there's always a point two for me in a series. I, I, I guess I shouldn't say always because Columbus has never gone to seven games. But in in most of these series that Columbus has played, that Columbus has played, there's a moment in in a game. And for me in Boston, it was game five, uh, the second round. Uh, for me against the Capitals, I think it was game five in uh, Washington. But it, it arrives in every series where you say, this team does not have an answer for what that team is doing. Or there's just nothing this team can do to tilt it back the other direction. Joe, was there a moment? I, for me, I felt that sort of late in game three where Columbus was dictating play against a team that, that I wasn't sure when the playoff series started that they could dictate play against. And it just it started to occur to me, it started to feel a little more comfortable in saying, I don't think the Lightning have an answer for the way that the Blue Jackets are playing, the physical style, the forechecking, all of this sort of stuff. Was there a moment for you in this series where that occurred to you? Not just that the odds were stacked against him because it's now three games to no, to zero, but a moment where you thought that there's something that this team's doing that that team doesn't have an answer for. I think I agree in the sense that it was game three for me. Like I think game two was kind of a shocking thing just to see kind of the response and to see maybe kind of how yeah. shocked they were going into it. But when you saw the Lightning team kind of come back and you saw them play that they were they had before, and I think they were kind of teetering between the lines of, do we want to play our puck possession, bring the puck into the zone, or do we want to go and dump and chase it? And then Cooper didn't want them to go dump and chase because he didn't want to get the puck up. You know, he's like, you know, we want to keep the puck and we don't want to, all we do is we dump the puck in, they get the puck back up the boards and all of a sudden we're, we're defending again. And so it's a yeah. kind of a little bit of a, an issue there of do they want to get to adapt so much in a series, you, you know, you, all these chess message, masses, matches and back and forth decisions. But I think in game three, when they did play really well and they had a lot of chances and they were kind of having more of a response that I thought they would have in game two. And you have a guy on the other end standing on his head and Bobrovsky playing so well, you, you you kind of got a kind of a sinking sense that, you know, no matter what happens from here on out, it might just be this might be Columbus's year in their series at this point. And you take away the 62 wins and that historic thing. If this were just a regular two versus three matchup, it wouldn't be this hype that we built around every every game was like a collapse. Every game was the worst thing ever happened to the Lightning. Every win that was the best thing ever happened right. to Columbus. There was such all those swings were bigger than I think any other. You know, every every first number one seed that in that playoffs lost last year, right? Every number one seed. Uh, right. In the first round, and then everyone was talking about the lightning, though, and and all this. So I think it, the pressure kind of mounted at that particular point, and um, and then there we go. Joe, is there a Blue Jackets player in that first round um, that really opened your eyes? A guy that perhaps you weren't aware of previously to the extent uh, of the the way that he played in the first round. I think Josh Anderson would be the guy for me. Um, you know, yeah. he really was a relentless force, size. He really he really was a pain in the ass for the lightning. Like every time the defenseman went back for the puck, like they had to think, where's Josh Anderson at? Or where's this, what's, right. what's going on here? And I think, you know, you, you think about all the star players we have in this league and the Crosby's and the Ovechkin's and everything else that have these game breaking players that can really turn our game around. The lightning have a number of them with Kucherov and, and Stamkos and point, but you have a guy like that or players like that, that can really bring that element to a series or intimidation or that kind of, make you wonder with the puck where you're going and where the guy is. It can really be a factor, especially in a, in a playoff round, as you mentioned. And so I think a guy like him, to me, really, for a guy that maybe was not well-known in Tampa or well-known 
at least uh, a lot of people uh, on the outside, uh, what uh, kind of a factor that guy can be uh, in a series more than even you know. I know Fligno, Fligno, you know, there are all the different had, and Bobrovsky still had a pedigree of being a really good goaltender. But I think a guy like that really kind of opened my eyes a little bit. Joe, did, what did you? I mean, what did, was your read on maybe where where leadership faltered for the group? I mean, I remember seeing. Coop and it's I'm certainly not hanging it all on him but talking to all of us before game four and it just I mean it just seemed like guys were still just crazily trying to figure out how to find that spark I mean and we always talk about the players not performing but were were the coaches looking for answers too in terms of how to maybe refocus these guys mentally or try and motivate them what did you get any sense of, of how that the leadership side of this was working through that series yeah I mean I think for for me, I think after I was surprised that after one the way the way it did, um, all the guys lined up, you know, in like the auxiliary press press room and, and Brandon, and they stood up there, and Cooper had the message, and the players kind of followed it, saying, "Hey, it wasn't anything they did; it's all thing that we did. You know, mm-hmm. we did. It was our, you know, it was kind of this. You know, everything is okay. We'll just go back to our game, and we'll be fine." And he kind of set that message to the rest of the group. It seemed like because the rest of the guys kind of echoed what he said, and you kind of wonder if there wasn't enough of an urgency after that game one mm-hmm. to think that, okay, they got our attention. They got our attention for a reason. It wasn't a fluke that we lost this, this, this lead and, and, and this, this kind of thing happened. And you wonder if it kind of came a little bit too late in that particular point. Like they kind of felt like their, their confidence was there. They could find a way. And I understand why that was the case because they did it all year long, but this was a different animal. And so I think the, that's where you, I think you saw the timidness, I guess, in game two. And at that point, you know, I think you also have some things behind the scenes. You have like, they didn't play a guy like you know Callahan early in the series. Mm-hmm. Hobart didn't play. Uh, Ruta played over him. Um, you know you have a number one number one player and team get himself suspended and frustration showed from him. And I think his body language could probably read into other guys too at yeah. the end of game two. And you see your best player be that frustrated and do that. All of a sudden, it has to be kind of a little bit of a shock to the system. Um, but you know they have a lot of great leaders in that room, and I I know Stamkos is an unbelievable leader, and other guys are more quiet. I don't know if they had a guy like a, a Pat Maroon or somebody else that could kind of you know like pull them out of it, so to speak. Uh, so I couldn't speak to everything behind closed doors, but I think that obviously that you know there's a reason why they wanted to you know when they lose when they lost guys like Strawman and then they obviously they wanted to add more experience and veteran leadership in the room after that. That's why you got the Maroons and the Shattenkirks and the McElhennies into the into the team this year did obviously Joe you and you hinted at this already but um it, it wasn't the outcome that I know you wanted and certainly not the, the team you cover wanted but just from an outsider perspective that whole all those firsts that you referred to that and it being the first series win for a team like Columbus coming into that arena seeing that fan base it, what was that game for experience like from that perspective just seeing a city get that taste for the first time it was unbelievable, and you can't help but feel, you know, I guess, you know, happy for the fan base that had been starving so long for it. I mean, you know, I remember Tampa had to, had to go through that too. You know, they had to go through their bumps uh, before they won that cup in 04, and they had some, some early exits and some tough moments that they finally grew as a group. And when you had that, uh, you know, winning a playoff series, and all of a sudden you win a playoff round, and then you go from there. But, but yeah, I think it was just a, a great atmosphere, a great hockey series. I enjoyed every game that I, I covered there like you guys did. And um, nothing like the playoffs, in my opinion. Uh, you cover the season for as much as you do. The playoffs are a whole different animal. And so I really enjoyed the atmosphere. 
Uh, the cannons still scared the heck out of me, no matter what. <laughs> I've been there a number of times, but um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's you saw the deflation of the lightning, and you saw this promising season go down the tube so quickly, and so you saw that part of it, but you also saw the other part of the, the fans going and the, the the jubilation from the players on the Columbus side, and you knew there's there was going to be something special that they'll probably always remember, I think, uh, in Columbus, that uh, that first-round series. And, Joe, we, we talked about this during the game, before the game, after the game, but, but the one matchup that these two teams had this year in Columbus, you know, both sides were kind of like, oh, it's just another game, as they're always going to say. But, but that game felt different to me. I think it mattered to both sides, and it echoed a lot of what you had talked about in terms of the changes in who Tampa Bay was this year. Now that it's, you know, post the immediate post game reaction, what was your take on that game? Do you think it, it meant a ton to the lightning to, I mean, granted it took extra innings, but did it mean something to Tampa to come in there and get that win? I mean, I don't think it meant as much as we all probably thought it might. I mean, I think it was, obviously they didn't want to lose again. Right. They didn't right. want to, after waiting all that time, it, it wasn't going to make up for what happened in April. It wasn't going to all of a sudden change the way they felt about things, but Certainly after what happened, they didn't want to lose again. Um, and I think that um, there's a lot of pride involved in this. They're very prideful players. They've done this for their whole lives or in the, in the, under the microscope. And I think that they really felt like they've been playing like a better team this year. And no one would believe them until they actually saw them do it. Um, so I think that was uh, – I wasn't there in the building. I was watching on TV. You guys were there. But, um, so I couldn't sense like the emotions in the building. But I just really sensed that, you know, it just another example of – like we wrote that they had been played like a different team this year and, and more prepared and, and really feeling like if they got to another playoff situation in a round, they'd be more prepared for um, what kind of got thrown at them and that they might be able to make a, a long, deep run this year. And they still hope they can. Joe, I think both coaches had, <clears throat> excuse me, mem- memorable moments in that first round series last year. The, the one quote that sticks with me from Cooper well, I think it was after game two where he said, we, we have a five alarm fire now. Um, that, that was, that was a, uh, I'm not sure he meant that in terms of this whole thing is that we got, we're in deep shit here as much as he meant, okay, we need this, this needs to be taken seriously. But Tortorella had the huge speech. I don't think it was broadcast until, uh, into the game. So many people assumed that that speech that he gave, you can find it on YouTube. I tweeted it a couple of days ago. Uh, was given after the first period. It was not. It was given before the game started. But it's still a hell of a motivational. Most people watching it are thinking, oh, my God, I'd love to run through a wall for this guy right now. Torts is a legendary figure still in Tampa Bay. Uh, is he not? Of course, he had the great cup run with them. He has a great relationship with St. Louis. He's had a fascinating relationship with LaCavalier through the years. Uh, he was a big part of that Lightning franchise um, 15 years ago. Just what is his spot down there, and how do people uh, still think about that man? Well, I mean, they love him. You know, I mean, he's a guy that, you know, brought them their only Stanley Cup. And I think, um, you know, Cooper has passed him now in, in wins and that kind of thing for the record books. But he has that special place in everybody's, every fan's heart here because of that team was so much fun to watch. And you, I don't think he gets enough credit for what he did with that group. And you kind of blend all the young stars with Javier and St. Louis and Brad Richards. And you have, uh, you know, Tim Taylor and the Andrew Chucks really doing a great job leadership wise, but he had to crack the whip a lot with all those young guys. He had to get, you know, you know, with Brad Richards or Javier, that relationship you mentioned was such a complicated one um, to get that team over the hump. And so I think people really, uh, not just Tortorella, the coach, but Tortorella, the man, I think you guys get to, got to know him a lot. Um, yep. 
away from the rink and what a what a great man he is and what he does for uh, a bunch of different causes that he cares about. Uh, I think he still has a place in, in Pasadena Grill Treasure Island over here uh, that he has an off-season home, I believe. So, uh, and just all like the different you know witticisms and, and quotes that he had on that run, like you shut your yap with with Hitchcock and all the different colorful things that he said over the years. I think people really who enjoy covered him uh, and enjoyed kind of following him. So I think that's something that he's going to be kind of that below figure. And I did like a um, uh, all-time team over the summertime just to kind of look at the all-time lineup, what they would do. And I asked a bunch of players like, hey, who would be the starting goalie? Who would be the top line? Who would be this? And I think a lot of, you know, even though Cooper is very accomplished and will eventually, I'm sure, be that guy um, down the road, uh, a lot of the guys pick, you know, towards to be the, the, the head coach for that team because of the chance, because he won the cup. And that is yeah. one thing that, that, that obviously Cooper hopes to have. And I think Cooper will get uh, in his career as a Stanley Cup. So, um, you know, those things can kind of endear you. Once you win together and win a title together, you kind of bonded for life. And I think the city probably is bonded for life with a guy like that. Yeah. Uh, some fascinating times. Just a year ago, it all started in Columbus. Um, Joe, what will this be like if, if this season does not pick back up for Tampa Bay? Can you describe sort of the emptiness and and what it might feel like if if after having waited a whole year to redeem themselves that they don't end up getting a chance this year? And how, how much change might there be for this team uh, between whatever happens to the rest of this year and next year? I'm not familiar with how many contracts they have up uh, what sort of player movement there might be uh, going forward? Might this team not get a chance to redeem itself? I, mean, I still think they will. Uh, I mean, they're still have such a good core and all locked up for a long time. I just don't see it's the last time. But I think anytime you have a, a group like this that's been around together for so while and the salary cap that's only going to go down or stay flat with this uh, with the virus and the shutdown, right. you only have so many kicks at this, right? And so um, that's another lost season would really be uh, would really really hurt. I think for them. You look at the guys they added the deadline. They give up two first-round picks, and they their top prospect at the deadline for guys they felt they could help them this year and next year. They're both under contract next year, so not like a rental situation. But still, they got them for two cracks. Only going to get one crack with those guys, like Coleman and Barclay Goudreau. So you paid a lot of price for that, not knowing. No one knew this is to happen, and this league gets shut down. But uh, they're going into one of their toughest cap crunches they've ever had uh, this summer. Uh, Sergeyev and, and Shirelli are restricted free agents. They're going to get due uh, sizable raises there. Eric Chernak is a RFA as well. Um, you basically have your whole rights have the blue line gone unless you sign Chernak, of course, and you can sign Shattenkirk or Roots at a, a small price. But um, obviously, they have some tough decisions to make, and they've done a lot, really good job over the years managing the cap. So you have to get rid of, you have to lose a lot of familiar faces that you've grown to love if you're a Lightning fan here. But there might have to be some tough decisions uh, this summer on, on guys that people know and well and love here uh, might not be able to be back here anymore because of the situation they've in with a salary cap um so um it could be interesting summer once we get to the summer i don't even know when the summer's going to start for all of us uh as far as the off season but um definitely be some important moves to make and uh it won't be the last you'll hear of the lightning it won't be the last time there'll be a chance to make a long playoff run but anytime you miss out a chance uh to go on a run like this with the team that they had built um this might be the best team that they've ever had in terms of to talent wise top to bottom uh on this current era of teams so be fun to see them actually get out there and play. I love to see it. Yeah, and it could be the beginning of a beautiful relationship here between Columbus and Tampa Bay. Because if it, you know, it's strange where rivalries come from. Uh, that game this season felt, as Allison noted, like it had a little something extra to it um, to Tampa Bay, and it'd be great drama if they ever met again. 
in the playoffs. Joe, thanks so much for joining us. Really, really appreciate it. Continued good health health to you and yours. Absolutely. You guys uh, too. We'll talk to you soon. Sounds great. Thanks so much, guys. And stay safe. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Joe. Thanks for uh, listening to us, everybody. We'll be back with you on Tuesday. Allison, anything anything we need to add here? I think that's it. Quiet days. Stay healthy, everybody. Thanks for reading our site. Uh, Thanks for sticking with us, and uh, we will talk to you in a couple of days. Take care. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.